our text today. That's Ephesians chapter 1. We uh, began a study in Ephesians two weeks ago. We looked at uh, the verse 1 and 2 two weeks ago. And last week we looked at verse 3. Today we'll look at verses 4 through the first part of 6. And I can tell everyone's encouraged about that. Amen? Yeah, that's what I like. Ephesians. We did the background. We looked at Ephesus. And today we begin in this study of uh, verses 4 to 6. But before we do, there was, a, there was a cartoon written. It showed a lawyer reading a client's last will and testament. So there was this group of like just greedy-looking relatives. And he reads it, and it said, I, John Jones, being of sound mind and body, spent it all. I spent it all. So they all left with their heads down and probably full of disgust and rage and anger because of their greed. But, you know, Jesus Christ wrote his last will and testament for the church. It's for us. And he made it possible for us to share in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as we saw last week in verse 3. Every spiritual blessing has been granted to you and granted to me because we have been baptized into Christ. I'm not talking about water baptism. That's only a, rep- a representation of the reality of us as new creatures in Christ being baptized into Him. He has given us a brand new nature. Because everyone is born with a nature that is a, a, a what? Sin nature. That's what separates us from God relationally. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. To see heaven, to enter heaven, you must be born again. And that nature must be transformed. And when we're born again, we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're given all of the spiritual blessings that are His. Everything that's His is ours. An inheritance. An everlasting inheritance. And we looked at those blessings last week. Christ didn't spend it all. Christ did not spend it. He paid for it all. He paid for it all on our behalf so that we can dip into a never-ending spiritual bank account to live out our faith day by day by day in victory. Does that mean there won't be bumps in our life, in the road of our life? No. But we can certainly persevere by the riches of blessing, spiritual blessing that has been granted to us. To walk in the what? Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. So that's the riches we have. Now, I want to read just verses 4 through 6, because I did open the service um, reading verses 1 through 14. Actually, let's begin in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, here's our verse for today. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of of His grace. Verses uh, 4 through 14, it's all one ongoing long sentence in the Greek language. 
No stops, no breaks. It's just one long running sentence. And, is, you know, Paul's realizing all the blessings he has in Christ. He just begins and he starts and he can't stop. He's just going, going, going with all that we have in Christ. He's rejoicing in what we have as believers in Christ. And he begins with the blessings of our triune God. We serve one God in three persons. Three persons and we see in verses 4 through 6 the blessings of God the Father. And in verses 7 to 12 we see blessings of God the Son. And in verse 13 and 14 we see blessings of the Holy Spirit who is God. So you can just jot those down and look at them. But there's uh, there's uh, some points we want to look at today. And the first point is the plan of the chosen. Because if you're in Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen. We were chosen. This is one of those blessings you want to rest in. This is one of these things that you want to rejoice in as a Christian. That God chose you. Chose you. Does the Bible say that? The Bible says it. You were chosen. You were predestined, predetermined to be His from before the foundation of the earth. This is the marvelous doctrine of election. This doctrine has confused a lot of people, and it's confounded many. Can I get an amen to that? It's confounded many. Uh, A seminary professor, he once wrote, he said, Try to explain election, and you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away. And you may lose your soul. Great, great quote. Because people try to explain it away, you see. People asked me recently, I was teaching a class through the book of Romans, and a young man came up to me after the class. He said, uh, you believe in election, don't you? I said, I believe in the Bible, yeah, absolutely. You know that God predestined us. I said, of course, I believe the Bible says what it says. And his, his reply was, well, what about free will? Okay, now follow me now. We've got to put on our thinking hats. You've got to follow me through this whole process this morning, okay? Promise? Put it on. Don't check out. Don't hear what you want to hear. Hear the whole thing, okay? This is Bible teaching. And I said, you know what? Free will is not even a biblical term. Hold on. Before one comes to Christ, his will is not free. His will is in subjection to his nature, which is what? A sin nature. It's bent on evil, it's given to sin, and it's not free. It's in bondage to sin. Slavery to what? Sin. His will is in submission to his nature. Only God can set a person's will free. If you're in Christ today, your will has been set free. All right? You can jot this down. Romans 6.18 under the plan. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. No person sets himself free. Biblically speaking, no person can set himself free. God's the deliverer, and I don't believe there's one Christian in here that wouldn't say that God's not the deliverer. Who delivers us from sin and death? Jesus Christ. God is the deliverer. In Romans 6, verse 22, it says, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. In the end, everlasting life. We become a willing bond slave to righteousness. A willing bond slave to the one who set us free. 
That's what a bond slave is. It's a willing servant. He set the will free. We therefore follow him. We abide in him. He is the vine. We are the branch. Abide in the vine. And all that's, all the life that is in the vine is in the branch. And what will appear? Fruit will appear. We're called to abide in the life. It's Christ. So the, salva- the, the fact that salvation begins with God, I don't believe that there's one Christian that would argue with that. Salvation begins with God. Jesus said this in John 15, verse 16. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Romans 3 says that the lost sinner set, set to himself does not seek God. He says no one seeks God. There's no one righteous, not even one. Not even one. But Luke 19.10 says that Jesus, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now here's the word chosen. Okay, Here we are, verse 4, just as he chose us in him. The word chosen, there's no hidden meaning. This is simply what it means, literally. It means to pick out, to select. It means to choose for oneself. Christ chose you, believer. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. It's all, check this out, very important. It's always used in the positive, never used in the negative. In other words, it's never used that God chooses people for eternal hell. It's always used in reference to God's people. Always in the positive. Okay? Very important. It's always used in the positive. The purpose is always, always for His glory. If you look at verse 6, to the praise of what? His glory. Verse 12, praise of His glory. Verse 14, praise of His glory. Salvation is for the praise of His glory. He chose you for the praise of His glory. See, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of teaching going around today that the theology of which has become very man-centered rather than God-centered. Our theology, if it's man-centered on you and what I get and what I should get and who I should be, you need to switch that and get it back on the author of your faith, the author of our faith. He gets the glory. It's for His glory, period. Amen? Okay, follow me along. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, chose the church for His glory before He chose it for its own good. It's for His glory. He chose the church for His glory. A choosing of hell is simply the choosing of those who reject His gracious gift of eternal life. That's who the chosen are. He simply picked you out. He selected you. That's point one. Okay. Point two is the prior arrangement of the chosen. The prior arrangement. When was it? Before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is coming back in His glory, and this time He's coming to judge. He's not coming to lay down His life again. This time He's coming to get those who are His. He's coming to lay out His wrath. Jesus said, Matthew 25, verse 31, you can jot this down. When the Son, this is Jesus speaking, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and the holy angels with Him, 
Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from the other, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. Chosen. And then he will also say to those on the left hand, now listen to this, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell, prepared for the ones who rebelled out of practical, perfect perfection. His very holy presence, they rebelled out of that. There is no redemption for the fallen angels. The Bible says, as I said last week, that angels look with awe and splendor at grace. They can't understand it. You know why? Because they, they, they have no need of it. Angels are in the place of perfect glory and holiness of Almighty God. They do not need to be redeemed. The ones who rebelled out of glory, they're unredeemable. Hell was prepared for them. Jesus said to people, you're either for me or you're against me. If you're against me, you will be the goats that will be separated into hell that is prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. Fence sitters, people who are sitting on the fence going, yeah, I, I, I totally acknowledge Jesus as Lord. I totally believe it in my mind. And they haven't surrendered their life to him. They are opposed to him. Fence sitters have made their choice. Fence sitters have said, I believe what I do not follow. That's why Jesus said, I'd rather have you be hot for me or cold for me, for if you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3, 16. I will vomit you out of my mouth. That was a verse that actually drove me to my knees in repentance. I was very convicted by that because I had been reading the Bible for a year before I got saved. I had all the intellectual understanding of God as far as who Christ is and what He's done. But I didn't bow my knee in my life to Him. You see? But God chose me when? Before the foundation of the earth. He chose me. I'm chosen. You're chosen. You're in Christ. You're chosen. Now, in regard to those who will bow at the great tribulation, those who will bow to the Antichrist and they will worship him as God, Jesus said, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life. The only ones that will bow are the names who haven't been written. It's impossible for those who've been written to bow. Okay? Chosen. Chosen, unable to bow before the Antichrist. God shows us for whose glory? His glory. He simply chose you for His glory. Now, people have a problem with this, and there's no reason to have a problem because it's just biblical. Okay, look at the nation of Israel as an example. You know what God did with Israel? He chose them as His nation because through that little nation would come the seed of promise, the Messiah. That was its purpose, to be representatives of God in, a, in, in, in the midst of surrounding nations that worshipped everything but God. To be the light. To be the source of truth. But what happened to Israel time and time again? They fell into the worship of all these false gods rather than be the light. And that's why God had to chasten them time and time and time again. For who the Lord loves, what does He do? He disciplines. He chastens them. He chose Israel. Isaiah 42.1 says, Israel is mine elect. They're my chosen nation. He said, I set my love on you because I chose to do so. 
I, God, chose to lay my love on you. You are my people, Israel, that I have a covenant relationship with. God shows you in Christ to have a covenant, everlasting relationship, a union that's unbreakable. Good news, isn't it? Okay, listen to this. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Paul says, speaking of Christ, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. You're not chosen because you are all that. Right? He did not choose Israel because they were all that. But according to his purpose in grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Okay, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in point two. The other points will be rather swift. You know who Paul ministered for the sake of? You know why Paul went from region to region and town to town and city to city? You know why he did? To preach the gospel, right? You know who he wanted to preach to? The elect. Gentiles. Jews, whomever, but he was preaching for the sake of those that are chosen. This is what he said. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, Therefore I, Paul, endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's talking about people that are not yet saved, but he's preaching for the sake of the elect, those who God chose before the foundation of the earth. Do you know who God chose before the foundation of the earth? No. No, we, we don't. We're not God. We simply are not God. Our finite man, minds attempt to wrap that mind, which is finite, around a holy, infinite God. You can't do it. If you could, guess who'd be God? We would, right? Is that going to happen anytime soon? No. So we continue to study, right? Second Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. From the beginning. It, it, what does it say? But from the beginning, what did he do? Chose you for salvation. Jesus warned of the deception that would come during the Great Tribulation. Okay? He warned of the deception. This Antichrist will rise up. He'll be a world-powerful leader unlike anyone in the history of the world. And this is what he said. False Christs and false prophets will rise. They'll show signs and wonders, and they will deceive. How many people are falling into false belief systems in this world? And they're just, you know, hey, whatever good with me is good, you know, true for me, and whatever's true for you is true for you. That's a lie of the devil. They're deceived. This is what Jesus said. Some of them will be so convincing that they will deceive, if possible, it says, the elect. This is the words of Jesus. If it were possible, the elect would even be deceived. Okay? Guess what? It's not possible for God's chosen people to be deceived into some false religious system. No matter how powerful or mighty, whether he shows signs and wonders in the heaven... The elect, God's chosen people, cannot be deceived. Because he said, if possible, even the elect. But he said, take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Many professing Christians are deceived. And they go, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you know what? My, my Aunt Susie believes in whatever, fill in the blank. And if that's true for her, you know, I'm sure she'll get to heaven. That's a lie of the devil. Because the devil does not appear as some dark, monstrous, evil-looking thing. He appears, 2 Corinthians says, as an angel of what? 
light. An angel of light is how he appears. A little bit of truth, a little bit of truth can lead someone just eternally away from everlasting truth. From the opposite end. Paul was preaching the gospel in Antioch. In Acts 13.48, he says this. Now, Luke says this in Acts. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. If you're a believer in here today, you were appointed to everlasting life. Christ appointed you to it. When the gospel was presented, no matter how many times it was presented to you, God broke you down. He softened your heart. He nurtured the hard soil of the heart. He drew you to himself and he brought forth life, spiritual life. It's his divine work. I don't understand it. Jesus said, as the wind blows to and fro, you don't know where it comes from, nor do you know where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's God's divine, sovereign work. You're chosen in Christ before what? The foundation of the world. I don't care if your mom and dad plan to have you or not. If you're in Christ, human thinking, planning has nothing to do with God's sovereign plan of drawing those that are His to Himself. I'll give you an example. There was a woman, true story, there was a woman who lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1965. She was a prostitute by trade. Prostitute. She lived a perverse lifestyle. She did all kinds of things that were just perverse, twisted sexually, immorally. She was a prostitute. Through one of her prostitution tricks, okay, that's what it is when a woman is a prostitute and you got the Johns who are the customers. When she gets with the John, he pays her for sexual favors. That's called a trick, okay? Through one of the tricks, she gets pregnant. Highly considers aborting the baby. And praise be to God that she didn't. So this woman, this prostitute, went on to have this child, which was a little girl. This little girl got to be about three, four years old. The mother moved them to California, up to Modesto. This mother, the prostitute, got involved with Hell's Angels, got involved with drugs that Hell's Angels were running about, still prostitution, all kinds of immorality, a bunch of perverse twistedness. And this little girl grew up in the midst of it. She was even getting her rides to school by the Hell's Angels, you know. Such good fellas, you know, aren't they? The mother led this little girl to believe that her father was a war hero that died during the Vietnam conflict. So when this young girl grew up to be about 13, was a teenager, got in an argument with her mom, her mom got so mad at her, she says, you know what? I didn't have to have you. I could have aborted you. And let me tell you one other thing. You don't have a dad. You're nothing but a trick baby. Heavy, huh? What a way to find out, right? All this little girl wanted was a family. She wanted a mom and a dad. She dreamed about having dinner together. That's all she ever wanted, right? Well, she grew up. She actually ended up being a runaway. She grew up. In her own life, she came to realize not the fact that, you know, my mom is bad. I'm a product of ugliness. She realized that she was a sinner. God drew her to himself 
opened her eyes to her spiritual depravity, transformed her life. She got married. She had two children of her own. She wasn't able to be the daughter of that family she dreamed of. Now she's the mother. Glory to God, amen? That's my wife. That's my wife, Roxy Leader. God, before the foundation of the earth, chose her. She does not find her identity in her family heritage. Believer, you want to lean on and trust in the identity you have in Christ as God's chosen child before the foundation of the earth. A lot of people find, you know, their confidence in their family heritage, you know. You come from money. You have someone famous in your family line or lineage, right? You know, I'm a Kennedy. I'm a Rothschild. I'm a Rockefeller. Whatever. Whoopity-doo-dah. <laughs> it means nothing in the end. I know a lady I was talking to the other night that goes to this church, and her dad is into UFOs and mysticism and New Age religion. God shows her in the midst of all that false teaching, in the midst of all that crazy thinking, He pulled her out of that and enabled her to believe. Chosen. Those who are chosen, doesn't matter how one grows up or what he grows up around, it will be the grace of God that initiates the work in them that will draw that person to Himself because He chose from the beginning. That's His work. So, get your confidence in who you are in Christ. Amen? Because that is a position of what? Perfection. All that is Christ is yours in Christ. All of His holiness is yours in Christ. Now you'll say, but I'm not perfect. I, man, I got so many flaws. We'll join the club. Amen. Right? <laughs> it has nothing to do with your practical righteousness. It has everything to do with your position in Christ. His righteousness covers you for eternity. And when you realize it, you can't not stay the same and you will begin to work out the salvation He's worked in. Proving that you're the elect. Proving that you're chosen. Your life will bear witness to the fact that God chose you. Because when you become a Christian, can you remain the same? No. The answer is no. You know, that woman, my wife's mother, went on to have another child and that child turned out just like her. Twisted lifestyle, bad decisions, drugs. She's got all of her kids. The state took all of her kids from her. She'll never get them back. She refuses to repent. She's heard the gospel. She refuses to repent. So now you say, well, there you go. There's human choice. Right? Does man have a choice? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. Can anyone desiring to repent come to Christ? You know what the answer is? Yes. Well, you say those are opposites. You know what the answer is? Yes, they are. The Bible teaches the absolute sovereignty of God. If your argument is, it's not with me, it's with Him. If you argue against that, He is sovereign whether you agree with it or not. He's sovereign. He chose you before the foundation of the world. This is what Jesus said in John 6.37. Listen closely. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And He goes on to say this. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. There's paradoxical truth for you. Jesus also said this. Listen to this. 
Jesus said, you will not come to me that you may have life. Jesus said in John 7.37, Whosoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In Romans 10, it says, Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Right? So how can there be all the choosing in all the whosoever's we just heard? How can there be that? You know what? There has to be both because they're both taught. Right? Are they both taught in the Bible? The answer is absolutely they are, without doubt. You can't neglect the fact that God chooses. Okay? This is something that people want to get caught up in. Well, God's not fair. You know what? If God, you know what? You, you better be glad He's not fair. Because if God were fair, I would be in hell right next to you. Right? He's not fair. He's full of mercy and grace. If He were fair, you'd be judged for your sin from the time you were conceived, because that's when the sin nature begins, when you're conceived. When the sperm meets the egg, conception, that's when life begins. And that's when the sin nature begins. He chose you. See, people want to attempt to mesh these two things together. The sovereignty of God and the volition of man to choose. God's, man's responsibility to choose, God's sovereignty, they try to mesh them together. It's a mistake. Leave them alone. Leave them alone, because the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God without, without doubt. Because then people say, well, why evangelize then? Okay? Some uh, great theologian answers that question for us. His name is J.I. Packer. And he wrote a book in 1961 called uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Here's what he says in it. Quote, man attempts to systematize the Bible because he thinks that he has to rationalize the mysteries of God. Which belong to him. Packer goes on to show that because of God's sovereignty, that evangelism is even made possible. Okay, and I'm quoting again. Our message is confirmed by God's sovereignty. The opposite would dilute the gospel message into a self-help program. Going to Sunday school sometimes with 30 kids, and I used to teach Sunday school. I'm going to go out and bust out a felt story over at the children's ministry one day. <laughs> going to any children's ministry and say, Hey, kids. Who doesn't want to go to hell? <laughs> go into any room of adults and say, who doesn't want to go to hell? I guarantee you, just about probably everybody, except some twisted dude who's just out there, will raise their hand, right? That would be a self-help program. But because of the sovereignty of God, Packer goes on to say, our motivation to evangelize is founded on God's sovereignty. Any lesser calling will not persevere. Our methods in evangelism must confirm God's sovereignty to do less would turn evangelism into a mere marketing campaign. You know what it would stimulate? Emotion. You know how easy it is to sway people emotionally? Super easy, boy. We are emotional creatures, and if you give yourself to the emotional condition of yourself on any given day and don't test your emotions and your thinking in light of the eternal truth of God, you will be like the waves of the sea in a boat without an utter, without oars, just cast about all over the place, reeling out of control. People who have a problem with the sovereignty of God and the fact that He has chosen those that are His, I don't know why they do, because the Bible clearly teaches it, they may not believe they believe in election, but they do. They might not believe that they believe in the sovereignty of God, rather, but they do. Okay? 
Here's why. When you pray, if you're a believer, do you pray? Yeah, of course, right? And the answer is why? The question is why? The answer is because God is sovereign, right? He is the one who gives gifts that every good thing that comes to us is from above, right? It's from Him. Therefore, we pray. When you pray about your salvation, who do you thank for it? You thank God, right? And I said this in week one as we were preparing to do this. I'll bet you there's not a person in here that goes to God who's saved who says, Lord Jesus, I really hope you appreciate my ability to think and my intellect. Because of all the false systems in the world, I chose you. <laughs> do you believe? Do you pray like that? The answer is no. Why? Because God is the source of all good things. If He's sovereign in all things, is He sovereign in salvation? Yes, He is. Absolutely. God is sovereign in salvation. He chose you. That's what you want to rejoice in. People who sit and they want to fight and rail against God. Well, what about the people who've never heard in the, in the jungles of wherever? And they're continually to resist God. Their biggest problem is that they're the ones resisting God. They don't need to worry about the pygmies in the depths of some jungle somewhere. They need to be concerned about themselves because they're fighting against God. They're warring against Him. Our battle, you guys, this war, it's not against flesh and blood. This is not a physical battle. You know, someone may bash you in the face for being a Christian. That's, that's a physical punch in the face that comes from a spiritual war that's not seen. The battle for people's souls. God is sovereign. It does not take away the fact that He is sovereign. He's the source of every good thing. And He's the source of salvation. Okay, turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Okay, we're going to begin and just look at something quickly in verse 10. 10 through 13. John chapter 1, begin in verse 10. Speaking to Jesus Christ, right? The Word of Life. He, Christ, was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. Look at this. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. Now, who was His own? Who was the chosen nation? Israel. Chosen by God. Isaiah says, they are my elect. They rejected Him. But in spite of the majority, the nation as a whole, there was a minority. Now, check it out. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe in his name. There lies the human responsibility. You see? There's the human responsibility. Who, verse 13, were born not of blood. In other words, it's not because of their national heritage, not because of their bloodline that they were Israelites. They didn't automatically get in because they were Jewish. Not because they were born of the Jewish race, period. Not because you were born of blood. It's not because of your family heritage. My kids don't get in because my wife and I are saved. Your kids will not get into the kingdom of heaven because of your faith. Therefore, I encourage you, parents, just because your kid says a prayer when they're six to accept Jesus, if you don't see a consistent growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you better put them in check throughout their life. You better say, hey... Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you saved? 
Put them in check. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You don't work for it, you work from it. He births it in you, we work it out. It bears witness of itself. Amen? Okay. So it's not of blood. We're not born of blood. It's not because of your national heritage, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not something that you do. The sign of the covenant for Israel was circumcision. It was a physical act. I don't want to get into what it represented and all that, but some other time, but it was just a physical thing. It's kind of like baptism. People think because they get baptized, they're in. Baptism don't get you into heaven. There'd be a lot of baptized people that had head up water on their head that will be in hell. When we baptize someone, we're identifying with the death, resurrection, and Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been buried in Christ, crucified in Christ, washed and cleansed, born again. Held accountable to my public profession of faith. That's what baptism is. It's an outward representation of an inward reality. Continuing on in John. It's not of blood, it's not of the will of the flesh, nor is it the will of man. It's not because you, will, you, you understand in your mind God's will. It's not just because of that. It's not of the will of man, but guess whose will? God's. Not of the will of man, but of God. Because God wills. It's His will. Those who believed received. You know why? Because God infected their sin nature with faith. Chosen. Called out from amidst the darkness. Called out from the bondage of sin and brought into the family. Chosen. You, believer, were chosen before the foundation of the earth. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved, right? Through faith. Now, now what we'll do, see, 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 yeah, I'm saved by grace, but it's because of my faith. Okay, look what he goes on to say. And even that, the faith, that's not of yourselves. That's also a gift, lest any man should boast. Who can boast in their salvation? Anybody in here? Nobody can boast in their salvation. All the glory goes to God. The sovereign work of God. He chose you. Well, some may respond with, oh, well, then it's the foreknowledge of God. He looks down the chasm of time and he sees who's going to choose and then he selects them from there. You know what? Then God's sovereignty would be in subjection to the choice man makes. Does that make God sovereign? No. It's not that he looks down the chasm of time in foreknowing who will choose him and then he selects him. No, because the word foreknowledge is a very interesting word. The key word in foreknowledge is to foreknow. The word know or knew is a word of absolute intimacy. When Adam knew Eve, guess what she, guess what she got out of it? Pregnant. Adam knew Eve, face-to-face, man-to-woman, sexually intimate. He knew her, and they had a child. In Amos 3.2, God says of Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Because there was an intimate relationship there with Israel, they rebelled. God chastened them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, when I return in my glory, many are going to cry out, Lord, 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 Lord. Did we not 
preach in your name? Did we not raise the dead? Did we not we do all these great things in your name? You know what he's going to say? Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. I never knew you. You may think you knew me, but I never knew you. Jesus said this in Luke 22. Follow this. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Now listen. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Was Christ's crucifixion predetermined? Yeah, because before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. Okay, but listen. But woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. Judas betrayed Christ, right? It was predetermined that Christ would be crucified. That's God's sovereignty. But still, Judas was totally, completely responsible for every deed he did. That's the human responsibility. He walked with Jesus Christ for three plus years. Every opportunity to repent. Amen? Sovereignty of God. Now we say, well, if I can't harmonize the sovereignty of God and man's choice, his responsibility to choice, how does God do it? I'm going to give you one verse in the Bible that answers the whole thing, so just jot it down. Deuteronomy 29.29. I'll read it. You can look at it later. Here it is. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Because don't ask me how it works. I'm just teaching what the Bible says, right? Also, you can jot down Isaiah 55.9. Okay? This will humble you too, by the way. If you think you have to understand everything about God, there are certain things we are to understand, stuff like this. We won't. Try to explain the Trinity. I sat out here having lunch with my friend one day with a couple hot dogs from Price Club down the road, and we were talking about the Trinity and how people have a problem that, well, they say they don't believe because they can't understand. I can't explain the Trinity. I can explain how God has revealed Himself through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But my friend pointed to an ant on the ground out there and he says, that would be like trying to explain to this ant, and he pulled out his cell phone, how this works. And we both agree that we both don't know how it works either. <laughs> Isaiah 55.9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and so are my thoughts than your thoughts. God is sovereign. Amen? This is a great truth to live by, believers. Rejoice in the fact that He chose you before the foundation of the earth. That's why you share the gospel. He chose you. He gave you the great commission, and me the great commission, to go share the truth in love. And those who are the elect, those who He's chosen, they'll come to faith eventually. It doesn't take away the fact, though, that your brother or your aunt or your sister or your mom or your dad, who's on their way to hell if they're not a believer, what do you do for them on their behalf? You pray for them. Why? Because God is sovereign. Anything you can talk them out of, they can talk, out of, talk themselves out of. God is sovereign. He's the only one that can infect the sin nature, transform the thinking, and breathe spiritual life into them. It's the sovereignty of God. You're chosen. The Bible says it. You're chosen before the foundation of the earth. That leads us to the position of the chosen, which we've talked about already. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the earth, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before Him in love. There again, what kind of righteousness is this that He's talking about? Positional. Right? If you're in Christ, you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. 
clothed in the righteousness of the Lord. All of the righteousness that is Christ is yours. God looks down at you and he sees perfect holiness because the holiness that he sees is the righteousness of his sons that was placed on your account. The righteousness of his one and only begotten son placed on your account. When you realize that, man, I'm perfectly righteous in the sight of God, does that make you want to rebel? No. It drives you to want to honor Him and love Him because He first loved you. Ephesians 5.27 says, He, Christ, might present to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. You are spotless. You are without wrinkle, without blemish. You'll never pay for your sins if you're a true Christian because they were all paid for at the cross. And if that doesn't give you something to live for, let's counsel. You know what the Christian life is? It's living your life in a manner that matches your position in Christ. Striving for that. Yieldedness is all it is. You're not working for your salvation. You're working from it. Because Christ lives in you, you abide in Him. We looked at it last week. You will bear fruit of the what? Spirit. Remember, He chose you to be holy. Okay? Great American theologian Charles Hodge said this. He said, if people are chosen to be holy, they cannot be, be, be chosen because they are holy. Is there anyone holy outside of Christ? No. Were you holy before you were in Christ? No. So you were chosen to be holy, not because you were holy. Also, holiness is the only evidence of election. It's the only uh, evidence that you're chosen. For one who lives in sin to claim to be elected for holiness is a contradiction. If someone says that they know Christ and they came to know Him and there's no change in their life, they're deceived. They're deceived. You know, Second Peter talks about all the virtue that we have in Christ and all the characteristics of Christ that have been given to us that we share in His nature now. He said this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. You know how you have assurance of your salvation? By walking in obedience. And then assurance comes from that. On the other hand, many people think they're believers and they're deceived, according to Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't turn there, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He said this, Do you not know that the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. If he said do not be deceived, that means what? There's people that are deceived. He said, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed and you were sanctified and you were justified. You know what the church is made up of? Former adulterers, extortioners, homosexuals, murderers, revilers, right? Liars and thieves. That's what the church is made up of brought out of that to be made holy, and the proof is in the change of life. If someone is an adulterer and he cheats on his wife, that's the pattern of his life, and he says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I accepted Jesus, I came down front in 19-whatever. And if his life isn't changed, if there's no Christ-likeness becoming evident in his life, he is what? Deceived. I know homosexuals that God has brought out of the homosexual lifestyle and into the family of God. They may battle and struggle in their mind with the temptation, but they've separated themselves from the lifestyle. Anyone who is in the homosexual lifestyle that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they continue in it as a pattern of their rebellious life, they are deceived. If you're a thief, and anything that's not tied down, you take. When God changes you, 
You're no longer a thief. You can't be. If you continue to steal, you are deceived. Thus saith the Lord. Not John Leader. That leads us to point number four, his purpose for choosing. You know what it is? Be to be holy and without blame before him in what? Love. The purpose for choosing is love. You know what love is? Love is self-sacrifice. That's what love is. You know, we say we love, but we just continue to feed and feed ourselves. All we want is to please self. That's not love. Love is self-sacrifice, to seek the betterment of someone else. It's not the fuzzy feelings, okay? That's not love. There's only attached to it. Jesus said this, John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the purpose for his choosing. Love. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life to the sheep. Why, why do you love God? There's only one reason you love God. And 1 John 4.19 says that we love Him because He first loved us. That's the bottom line. If you love someone and they in some false belief system, you patting them on the back and saying, oh, you know, if, you, if you're sincere about that, you know, you'll get to heaven too and I'll see you there. You don't love that person. If you have been brought into truth and life in Christ... And you let them go on to be deceived like that? You don't love them. You don't. Love speaks the truth. We're called to speak the truth in love. It's a product of that which He's worked in us. His love even draws us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. In Christ, what do we die to? Sin. Rebellion against God. That's what you die to in Christ. Rebellion. Now, we, do we still have sin in us? The answer is yes. Do we still stumble and still sin with our words sometimes and our thoughts most times and our deeds a lot of times? The answer is yes. But someone brought out of a lifestyle of rebellion against God cannot remain in it. You can't remain in it. That's the point. If you want to know for sure that you're chosen in, in, in elect of God, Walk in obedience and you'll have the assurance within that spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and you can be sure that you're a Christian. You can be sure. Some people believe that only God believes. You can know that you're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ and His spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus said, look, John 14, 21, He said, look, Whoever has, you want to know who, you want to know who loves God? You can say you love God all day. If you don't obey, you don't love God. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. That's what Jesus said, not John Leader. That leads us to point number five, verse five. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. Okay? Verse, here's the peak. It's sonship. He's adopted us. One of the most misunderstood words in the Bible, predestination. Predestined. This is simply what God does for saved people. He predetermines them. It means to ordain beforehand. The events connected to the crucifixion, were they preordained? Yes, they were. We're going to celebrate it next week. Preordained before the foundation of the earth. Again, mark this, very important. On the other hand, 
There's nowhere that we're taught in the Bible that people are predestined for hell. We're not. It's always in the positive. It's always referring to God's people. Always in reference to God's people. To be a son, to be adopted in, this is close as someone could be in the same family. And now check this out. When you're in this family of God, guess what? You take on the nature and the virtue of the Savior, the one who adopted us in. We take on the characteristics of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are humanly unable to do that. You can have ten kids, and not one of them is going to take on the identical nature of who you are. But in Christ, we all share that. That's the blessings we have in the heavenlies. Amen? Okay, now we lead to the last point, number six. What's the point of all this? What's the point of the chosen? What's the point of the choosing? What's the point of the fact that before the foundation of the earth, he chose you? What's the point? Verse five. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? Follow me. The good pleasure of what? Of his will. It's for the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, A, to the praise of the glory of his what? Grace. It's for the honor of God, guys. It's for his glory. We do not share the glory of God. He gets the glory. He's worthy of it all by himself. All things that we do are to glorify God. Amen? All that we do. There's nothing, mark this, there's nothing that brings greater glory to God than salvation. Redemption, which we'll get into next week. Nothing brings him greater glory, right? So if salvation was 50% man and 50% God, how much credit would he get? 50%. All of the glory of salvation goes to God and God alone. The fact that you're chosen before the foundation of the earth and that he enabled you to believe, I don't know how that works. The fact is you're chosen. You were predestined before the foundation of the earth. Rest in it. Lean on it. Trust in it. Rejoice in it. Live from it. Believer, amen? Live from it. He laid it out before time so that he would get 100% of the glory. You will never share the glory of God. Never. In all that's due to him. We get to reap the benefits of his glory. Because one day when we see him, you will see him as he is. And one day when you see him as he is, we will then be like him. Given a new body fit for heaven. Stepping into glory. That's the finish line. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. Again, if you understood all these things, you'd be God. You're not God. Okay, just in case you don't know. And I am not God. I'm a messenger of God who, let me tell you one thing, when I get behind here and I'm presenting His Word, I take really serious, and I've said it before and I'll say it to the day I die, beware lest many of you become teachers, for we, what? Have a greater judgment. You think I'm going to pass over the fact that God chose us before the foundation of the earth, as many pastors do, because they don't want the conflict? They don't want people coming to go, what about man's will? They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. They pass over passages like 1 Corinthians 6. It says, why? Like homosexuality. Our culture is so just adopted as being normal, they don't want to deal with it because they're afraid of what the people will say. God said what he said. He said what he said. If you're a liar and a thief, you're on your way to hell too. But the redemption of Christ gives you a new nature. Transformed because he chose you as a believer. We all were those things. There's tension between these things. You've got to let the tension remain, right? 
One commentator says if you try to mesh the tension of that together, you try to resolve the tension, you'll destroy both those doctrines. God is sovereign, amen? amen? Does man have responsibility to bow their knee before Jesus Christ and surrender? You better believe it. You better believe it. And as we close, rejoice, believer, in who you are in Christ. Rejoice in your identity in Christ. Rejoice in the fact that you were chosen before the foundation of the earth. It will change your life on earth. Any attempt to mesh those two together, it's just pride. Because you will never be able to do it. Non-believer, you may sit with your arms folded. Mad. Oh, well, maybe I'm just not chosen then. <laughs> right? Here's what I say to the non-believer. Choose to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Choose to realize and acknowledge to Him that you're not God. Choose to step off the throne of your life. Choose to allow Christ first place in your life. Choose to confess that you're a sinner on your way to hell. Choose to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when He takes residence in your life... He will transform you into His image. And as you walk in obedience to Christ, it will re be revealed through your lifestyle that you were chosen from the beginning in the foundation of the earth. Amen? Choose this day whom you will serve if you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, rejoice who you are in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, glory to You, Almighty God, for the things that we understand and the things that we don't. I do thank you, Lord, that by being in Christ, we can realize and understand that we were chosen before the foundation of the earth. We know that you, Lord Jesus, were crucified before the foundation of the earth. And we will celebrate next week the fact that death couldn't handle you. We will celebrate the fact that the grave couldn't hold you. We will celebrate the fact that you said all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, believers, and make disciples of all nations. We believe it. We lean on it, we trust it, we rejoice in it. Lord, I pray for your richest blessings to be revealed in and through your people this week, the people here at Pacific Hope, that we would have an impact on the people in our lives, Lord, who don't know you, and we would be a great encouragement to those who do, who we share in a like-minded faith with, Lord. May this be a church, Lord, that is hungry for the word, that goes and takes what we've learned and shares it with other people, Lord, so that we will have that truth rooted deep within us so that you're glorified through it all because you alone deserve the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.